This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Why is something demonized? Why is something being said to be so bad, so awful? Does it make sense? Does it make sense that companies that are massive companies would be creating things that are killing the people they are selling their products to? That just doesn't make a lot of like logical sense. And I think at the end of the day, when you try to stand out, when you try to market something, the reality is frightening people is an incredibly effective way to do that. Welcome to Wellness, Fact versus Fiction. I'm Dr. Danielle Bellardo, and I'm a cardiologist who loves evidence-based medicine and nutrition science. But as a millennial, I've watched endless wellness fads take over social media. It's my mission to get to the bottom of things by bringing on the top expert physicians and scientists to help us determine what is fact versus fiction when it comes to your health. It's time to leave the pseudoscience behind and become empowered when it comes to our wellness. Hello, hello everyone. And today's special expert guest is Dr. Ranella Hirsch, everyone's favorite dermatologist on Instagram. Dr. Hirsch is a board certified dermatologist who's a frequently quoted expert in the fields of cosmetic and laser dermatology. She often lectures to physicians in the field of laser surgery and cosmetic dermatology. She's currently involved in a number of clinical studies of laser technologies and skincare. She's highly sought after as an expert for both thriving brands and startup companies. Some of the biggest and most longstanding misconceptions in beauty and skincare we covered today. Today's episode is one of the episodes you guys have been asking me for for so long to cover all of the biggest myths misconceptions and pseudoscience that's in beauty and skin. And wow, there are so many. We cover all things acne related, including over-the-counter products that actually work, when to see a dermatologist, and whether something like tanning and drinking more water helps acne. We cover sunscreen and UV myths and some of my not-so-fashionable tried-and-true methods for sun protection. We cover morning skincare steps and whether synthetic or natural skincare products reign supreme. We do a buy-it-or-burn-it segment for all of the products you guys have asked about, such as biotin, collagen, clean skincare, and hair and nail supplements. And we do a bit of a retinoids 101 lesson that finally debunks the ridiculous misinformation on social media. 
Let me know if you guys have any more questions for Dr. Ranella after the episode. Let's dive into it. Hi, Dr. Hirsch. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Highly requested Dr. Ranella Hirsch, expert dermatologist, skincare guru, dermatology myth buster, the one and only Ranella Hirsch. Say hello. Oh, good God. That's a lot to live up to, Dr. Bellardo. I know. So that's why we really got to hit it out of the park today because <laughs> um, give them your IG handle, Dr. Hirsch at Renella, R-A-N-E-L-L-A-M-D. And she does a lot of dermatology myth busting today. And you guys, as we discussed, you know, we're going to go through all of your favorite questions and topics about skincare and different myths that go into skincare. So actually, one of my favorite things about this topic, Dr. Hirsch, is the fact that I think that this area of medicine, dermatology, skincare, et cetera, is a perfect example of how, even if you are a physician who is trained to understand science, trained to understand how to read journal articles, trained to understand and decipher evidence-based medicine, you can still be duped by fads that you are not an expert in. And I'm a perfect example of this. There's so much about dermatology that I have spent exorbitant amounts of money on skincare, thinking the more you spend, the better it would be. There are so many things that I thought were really, um, we needed like clean beauty and all these other things. And I'm a physician and I realize and recognize that this stuff is tough. It's not my specialty. I'm a cardiologist. So I think that if I can be duped, I think of how, you know, I'm sure a lot of other people who aren't even in medicine can be duped too. So I really am so excited to have experts on like you to help us all save money where we can, not spend money on fads we don't need, and also probably demystify some of the biggest, longest misconceptions in skincare. So thank you for being here. Pleasure. Thank you. Okay. So let's start with some facts or fiction. Okay. So one big one that we get all the time, let's start with acne, lots of myths, Lots of fiction when it comes to acne. Okay, fact or fiction? Is my acne because I do not drink enough water? Oh, Lord. If I could, like, take a pin and burst the bubble of a myth on acne, that's number one through nine right there. Wow. Because people have this idea that somehow, and it's not even just acne, this idea that by not drinking enough water, terrible things happen. I mean, this really runs into your neck of the woods of wellness and cardiology as well, this fiction that somehow we are seriously monitoring our bodies at that micro level. Doesn't happen in the body, doesn't happen in the skin, just not true. And I'll add to that, that should you feel the strong need to mention to someone who has breakouts that you feel they would be helped by drinking more water, go get a glass yourself and keep your mouth quiet. <laughs> I love it. A little sassy touch to laying the facts down. So not drinking enough water causing acne is fiction. I'm glad you settled that. That is a common one. I've received that question many, many, many times. Okay. How about this one? Is my acne because I don't wash my face enough or because I don't scrub? Yeah, this is a really common one. And a lot of it comes to what you alluded to earlier, this idea that it's kind of hard to know, especially in the terms of marketing, what's fact and what's fiction. And right. for the longest time, 
people with acne were given this really prescriptive sense of like, you need to scrub your face. It's dirt. It's all yeah. this stuff you're not getting. So acne is a medical condition. It is caused by a very specific set of things in the skin, a hormonal increase in the amount of oil that's produced, the shedding of skin cells, finding themselves kind of kept in the space where that oil is. And that leads to kind of a pathway, I'm simplifying, but to a pathway of inflammation. This is a medical condition. You cannot scrub it away. And the tremendous irony of scrubbing for this elusive super dirt that doesn't exist is that what we actually tell patients is scrubbing most likely will worsen your acne. Wow. You'll actually ratchet up the inflammation, knock the hell out of your skin barrier. I assume at some point you're going to probably ask me about our skin barrier. And it's critical that you really don't do all of the things that kind of are on the labels of all these products labeled for acne. The best thing you can do, if reasonable for you, is see someone like me. Barring that, there are lots of things you can do over the counter. The only line in the same and I would draw there is if you're in a position where you're noticing scars, where you're noticing things that are not getting better, that's a time to really stop with the at-home efforts and move forward to trying to get someone like me. Much easier to treat acne than it is to address scars. Wow, that's actually incredibly helpful. So can you actually elaborate a bit on that? So when should someone with acne see their dermatologist? When should they start just trying over the counter? How can anyone listening at home know, wow, I should really be seeing a dermatologist? And the other question is, should they be seeing any dermatologist or should they be seeing someone that specializes in acne? Or is this something that any dermatologist they look up that's covered by their insurance can uh, manage? Great questions. Let me start at the beginning. So there's actually a lot you can do over the counter, especially recently because of some new things that are on the market. Three of the most successful ingredients that we have both at prescription level and over the counter are salicylic acid, are benzoyl peroxide, and the category I'm going to call retinoids, which are vitamin A derivatives. We use them as prescription medications we treat acne patients with. You can now find versions of each of those over the counter. And that's an excellent thing to do. Generally speaking, pick one is my advice. Don't do all three. You're just going to get irritated, not see improvement. The biggest change that has happened recently is I was alluding to that line between drug and cosmetic, which is a specific thing here in the United States, the way things are regulated. The category of retinoids, tretinoin being kind of the classic, they had to be approved by the FDA. Now there is a newer member of the retinoid family called adapalene. The brand name that you can find it under is either Differin or you can find it under a brand called Roche-Posay and they have their version of it as well. That was actually approved as a drug. When I was training in dermatology, we wrote a prescription for that. And not that long ago, that was changed where it is now available over the counter. So you can literally walk into the drugstore, plunk down your $19 and get the same retinoid that for a lot of people I was writing it for. And that's a really good place to start. Unfortunately, not everyone can get in to see a derm right away. A lot of times you don't have the access. These are great things to try. And there are plenty of people who can manage things at home. What happens though, if you're sticking with it, you've been at it three, four months, you're not seeing improvement, I would say as long as six, probably not the worst idea to try and get the ball rolling to get in with someone like me. So the idea would be that you're doing those two things in parallel. The other thing I would add to that as well, a little bit of what I said earlier, 
if you're noticing marks, if you're noticing scars, please do not wait. That is something that should not be put on the back burner for over-the-counter products. Another tip I'll just throw out there is I'm not the only person you can begin a conversation about acne with. For women, especially who see their gynecologists, birth control is actually a mainstay of how we treat hormonal acne and other medications. One is called Benlevy, one is called spironolactone. But these are medications that if it takes a little bit more time to get in with me, you can absolutely have a fantastic conversation with your gynecologist. And in best case scenario for lots of women, it's a three-way call. I will get on the phone with the guy and figure out kind of what suits a patient best. And we're working on it together for many birth control and acne, two for one. And for many, it's just the acne alone. So, you know, it's also something that is more frequently covered under insurance. So it's a very nice approach to take. This is my anecdotal N of one. As I mentioned before, this is not my specialty. So I'm going to check in with you. But birth control, OCPs have been a game changer for skin for me and for so many of my friends. I mean, I feel like all of us live by our OCPs for the fact that it's just helped us keep clear skin. So the question for you is, is there a percentage overall in some of the research or data that acne is improved by control? So it's not, it's not as easy a question to answer because acne is a bucket from multiple different kinds of categories. So we have acne that is just inflammatory in its predominant state. And that's really a mainstay with things like benzoyl peroxide and antibiotics. There's the classic whiteheads, blackheads, or what we call comedonal acne. That's generally more things we go after with retinoids. Hormonal acne, and I think it's really important to even just step back and realize almost all acne has a hormonal component. This division that, you know, social media likes to put on these things is often really a bit artificial. Mm-hmm. Very rarely does someone come in with a box that says, I only have comedone, so you need not pay. I mean, much like <laughs> I'm guessing a cardiologist, patients really come in with their individual presentation. Of and course. that's the art of clinical practice that, you know, yes, I've been taught that retinoids are, you know, number one way to go for comedonal acne. Hello. I would love it to walk in the door. That way it doesn't. These things overlap. So for people who have hormonal situations, birth control is a mainstay and fantastic. I wouldn't go so far as to give you a percentage because it misrepresents the idea that it's a pure finding. Is that fair? That makes total sense. And we just had Dr. Jen Gunter on our last episode, who um, thankfully did a phenomenal job debunking a lot of the myths about birth control, which you know there are so many on Instagram, unfortunately, that demonize it, even though it's a well-studied, incredibly safe and effective medication. So now you're hearing it from two incredibly brilliant physicians that this is a safe and effective medication for multiple uses. And particularly a medication you're using in conjunction with your doctor. Correct. So, you know, should you have concerns or questions, that's why we're here. Exactly. Always important to talk about it with your physician, especially, especially when there's so much confusing misinformation on social media.
Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Okay. Next on the acne fact or fiction, some people have submitted that they heard a tan can fix their acne. Should they be going in the sun to improve their acne? Fact or fiction? The one time I wish we were not on a podcast, but on video. So my friends could see the face I am making right now. And you're also more than welcome to curse on here. We, uh, we, we welcome it. But my mom might listen. So no, <laughs> no, you shouldn't. So there's a little bit. So fiction. Yeah. So often is the case. There's like a nugget of truth upon which the fictional house of cards has been built. So let's go there. We do know that UV light, which is, you know, like what you see in the sun and what we get, it is something that can improve inflammation and acne. And in fact, there are treatments where we use specific wavelengths of light, either to address inflammatory acne, sometimes just to address the inflammation. You might've heard like red light and blue light and different things. So within UV light, there is some component where you might see incidentally an improvement. And upon that was built this notion, oh, you know, it's right. Unfortunately, it's like people saying, well, you know, there's benefit to having carbs. And yet then someone just decided all they would eat all the time is carbs. It's about balance. And the problem is the sun gives you good, but it gives you a lot of stuff that isn't so good at the same time. So while it might help the inflammatory component of your acne, what it will not help you with is the skin cancer that it will almost certainly lead you down the path to. The aging, the sun damage, which really manifests as discoloration, pigment, wrinkling, crepey skin, also not something you want. And in people who, I mean, we're both very, very lightly melanated, but as you go a little bit further into more melanated skin types, the pigment, which the great majority of people spend their days fighting with every product they choose is completely self-defeated by going into the sun unprotected. So no, a tan is very much not the approach to take with your acne. I am so glad you debunked that one, especially because I am obsessed with sunblock. Uh, Ranella knows this. She, <laughs> so I don't know if she's met someone that's more obsessed with sun protection than me. I have literally, you guys, I'll actually post them when I post the podcast. I'll share some screenshots in my Instagram stories. I, I send Ranella photos of these hats I buy for the sun that have full face covering. You can literally just see my eyes and they're big hats that have full, I want full sun protection. Then I'll, I'll ask her, can I triple up three different kinds of sunscreen? And we're going to debunk some of the sunscreen myths, but 
I reapply every 15 minutes. I mean, I am like, I don't know. Aren't you proud of me though? Although she did tell me, she did tell me she thought it was extreme. (laughs) I'd like to acknowledge for your listeners that for me to call sun protection extreme (laughs) is a very, very outlying kind of statement. (laughs) Be the understatement. I'm always asked the question. I mean, you're going to ask me about sunscreen, but I'm always asked this kind of another kind of myth floating around that, oh dear God, if I wear sunscreen, I won't get enough vitamin D. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, people like me live in the fantasy that that is a problem that exists. No human on planet earth blocks out enough sun that they don't get enough of the incidental sun that is needed. So then there's maybe you. Yeah. (laughs) Full outside of the curve because I please hope I you post these pictures because it's really true the spacesuit and the man oh and, and the and the, the welder mask almost thing that I use too I have to say I mean I know people working in nuclear power plants who are not as well protected yeah, exactly as well first of all so I live in southern California so you know the incidental sun just feels like it's all the time I will be honest I do wear these outfits too when I'm driving so I probably frighten people on on the road as well who look at me and they're like who is this masked character I I will say that it's just the sun exposure like you said incidentally too and depending on where you live actually no matter where you live there's a lot of incidental sun exposure but I will be the first to admit it to my listeners that I was bad about the sun when I was younger I am a late 80s baby and I when I was in high school, I went to a tanning bed before prom. Before prom, I went to a tanning bed. I went to Wait, a tanning Dr. bed. Bilardo, yes. I'm having a chest pain. Can I, you I help know. me from that admission? <laughs> I literally went to a t- I will admit it. Let's, you know, a first step is admitting our mistakes. I listen, if you're born in the late 80s, we did not know when we were in high school in the early, you know, 2000s or whatever, we did not know at the time how bad tanning was, or at least it wasn't as tanning beds were very common. So I went to a tanning bed a couple of times in high school and college. Oh my gosh, I hate to admit it. I went to the Hollywood tans a few times. And I really didn't wear a lot of sunblock until I, when I started medical school, I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, it wasn't skin cancer that scared me. It was wrinkles. I started to learn about how sun damage caused wrinkles. And then of course I started to get scared about skin cancer. So it wasn't until I was 22, 23 that I started to be really careful about the sun. And now I feel like I've gone into full overhaul, but I do think sun protection is something that when we were younger, you know, wasn't as emphasized as much. And I'm so glad you're out there reminding everyone it is. I'll add one point there because you do highlight something that actually hasn't gone away. I have patients who are now sending their kids to college. Let me focus here on the U.S. where I see it and hear about it constantly, where you get in your welcome to college packet, like a 10 like free pass to the local tanning salon. Wow, so this still? Is still very much still. out there. Oh in my gosh. Large parts, certainly, of the United States. So it, it definitely isn't something restricted to people from the 80s. This is very much a Gen Z kind of phenomenon as well. Wow. And you know what's crazy? So here being in Southern California, too, I mean, because we have sun year round, I, I see sun damage everywhere, too. So I am reminded on a daily basis. And of course, I'm always worried about skin cancer, too, as a physician, but it's really just in your face every day. So I will definitely share my sun protection pictures for you guys and where I get them on Amazon. I have no affiliation with any of these hat or 
like these welder hat companies or anything, but I'm, I'm a little extremely. Although they should pay you. You might be the only person who looks good in these outfits. It's too funny, but all right. Well, actually, so let's just jump to some of the uh, sunscreen myths because there are so many. Someone submitted having a tan protects from sun damage. Yeah, that is a really pervasive one. So opposite having a tan means it's proof of sun damage. The way things work, and actually I'll post because I've got a video that explains this on my um, Instagram, but basically in a nutshell, the sun causes the skin. I'm simplifying a lot here. One of the defense mechanisms the skin has is to increase and produce more melanin as an attempt at producing kind of a, a reactive kind of protective response. A tan is very strong evidence that your skin is damaged. That's actually what it is. It's a form of skin damage. And a sunburn, which for some reason people have in this idea that like one is worse than the other. No, they're both pretty bad. A sunburn is when you actually see the death of those cells, where you actually see them kind of say, well, that's it, I give, surrender. And that's actually the process of what's kind of happening when you get a suntan or a sunburn. So it's a false myth. And let me throw onto that one additional myth because I get asked it myself a lot and I don't know if you're going to. Putting on self-tanner is not itself protective. A lot of people think that if they in fact apply it and their skin has a bit of darkened color on it, it does not. There is absolutely no protection inherent to using a self-tanner product. Very important. And self-tanner in general, outside of the fact that if it doesn't include SPF or anything like that, it's not actually protecting you from sun. Self-tanner in general, do you support? Are you for? Are you against? What are your thoughts? Fantastic, wonderful, fabulous. Get all of the good, make yourself look nice and tan and wonderful with none of the bad. All right. Excellent. Someone submitted this. I'm 30 and have a lot of prior sun damage. Does it even matter what I do now? Oh, good heavens. Yes. I mean, I usually try to answer this in a little bit of a philosophical vein, like kind of what you just said. Yes. You made choices early in life that weren't great. Do you give up your young person? Do you just say no? If you smoked for five years, does that mean that's it? I should never stop because it doesn't change. We are human beings. We wake up, we learn, we do better. So the reality is twofold. Number one, the kind of philosophical view, shall we say, but also the the mere fact that if you actually look at kind of the curves and how these things work in terms of your damage, you absolutely will materially change it by changing your habits you will significantly improve your risk of staying healthy and not getting all of these bad things. And then if I appeal strictly to vanity, I'm totally down. You know, I always say you can spend $10 on a bottle of sunscreen or add a few zeros and spend it on me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Much more expensive than any sun protection you can buy. I promise. (laughs) Absolutely. The higher the SPF, the less you need to reapply sunscreen. So this kind of falls under the same family of ideas. So, you know, there's kind of this theoretical idea that people have, especially, you know, you watch most people put it on, that this little blip of sunscreen that they put on, that's not how it works. There is a very specific amount of sunscreen that is tested in clinical studies that actually gives you that level that's on your label, the SPF of 30, the SPF of 50, what have you. And the gestalt for everyone is nobody wears enough. Nobody. Except for um, me. Good, you, yeah, again, I, I don't even <laughs> think there's like 
regular people, <laughs> unconscious people. And, you know, Danielle over here on her private island. I sent her <laughs> pictures with it's just layered on my face. And she literally tells me I look frightening. It's fine. <laughs> I say with great affection, frightening in that delicious, delightful, hot way that you do it only. But basically, um, there's actually a wonderful sort of shortcut, uh, an Instagram, uh, uh, kind of a beauty legend on Instagram, Fitty Snails came up with, which is her three finger method for a lot of people with bigger hands can be a two finger method where you can actually apply the length of your finger. Mm -hmm. And that's generally a good guideline for how much you'd want to use for your head. It really is that we just don't use enough. So there probably is some benefit by starting with a higher number that the amount that you kind of end up with ends up being somewhere higher up. That said, does not negate the need to reapply. The reapplying actually has no real relationship to that. The reapplying is because in order to function, needs to be a film on your skin. And in order to do that, if you go about your life, if you're sweating, if you're swimming, if you touch something, if you wear a shirt, it gets rubbed off over time. So the effectiveness of that protection is what starts to wane. And you need to be reapplying just so that you have that consistent level of standing protection. Okay, perfect. And how often should everyone be reapplying? So in a dream world, if you're outdoors on a hot day swimming, every two hours, because that's kind of what it is. The regulated term on a bottle, water resistant, tells you about how long that you can get, it can be tested. So generally there, it's suggesting that in water for a certain period of time, that you have the ability for it to stay on. But even there, after a couple of hours, it's gone. And in the water, it's soon. So it's always even like with children, a great habit to get them in the process of doing it. I have to say the easier road to take, the far less bumpy road is right now they make really lovely UV infused clothing and swimwear and and fashionable and lovely. I mean, it's really stuff that you would be wearing on vacation. Nobody would know it's got sun protection in it, but it's fantastic. And you can get it at all price points. I mean, Salumbra sells it. I have no financial interest and that can be kind of expensive. Mod 50 sells really adorable, fabulous prints that are completely gorgeous, cuter than most of the suits you can buy. But you can also find them at the Gap. You can find them at Target. You can find them everywhere at every price point. So that shouldn't be a disincentive just because some of them are a little bit more expensive. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and even the hats that I get that are crazy and the UV shields I get for my face are, um, <laughs> are, are I get them on Amazon too. So yeah, we'll, I'll link to those. Same same here, no financial interest. Just We're just big stands of uh, sun protection over here. <laughs> yes, we are. All right, another question submitted. Okay, someone says, I have SPF in my makeup and I'm totally covered. Gwyneth Paltrow goo apparently allegedly says to use it like a contour. Um, and so fact or fiction, we knew Goop was going to come up in this episode. I have to figure that Dr. Jen Gunzer Goop came up there too. Of course. <laughs> Gwyneth is everywhere. Gwyneth in your vagina, Gwyneth in your cabinet, Gwyneth on your face. Yes. Gwyneth, the renowned toxicologist and cosmetic formulator, <laughs> dermatologist <laughs> and gynecologist. <laughs> the last I heard, she dropped out of 
of, you know, college to be an actress, a gifted actress, certainly. <laughs> but when she became the, the, health the guru? vocal authority on Lord, health, I, I'm, I, Lord. I must have missed that page. Yes, that was a big, big thing this past year when she went on, of all things, Vogue, Vogue, who really should know better, to talk about using sunscreen as a, as a highlighter. And, you know, yeah. that actually ties in we'll come back to the Gwyneth bashing in a moment of course but if you're on TikTok that's actually something that was a huge huge myth that I was asked to debunk constantly this idea where you would see and this is not her this is younger people who would apply it like a contour makeup so that they would get different levels of sun damage and sun you know sun tan and it would be a natural contour oh my goodness yes suffice it to say you've really done not a lot more than lay out where the skin cancers will form. Oh, no. That's pretty much what you've done. So yes, with all due respect to the, you know, great dermatologic mind that is Gwyneth Paltrow. She's being no. sarcastic. She's being sarcastic. Just in case anyone doesn't pick up oh, on this. God. I'm from New York. I think that's my baseline setting. <laughs> I just assume everybody knows. Yes, I'm being, I'm dripping with actual sarcasm. Out of my pores. I no longer put out sebum. I'm just irony. Which he basically, yeah, it's terrible advice. It's absolutely untrue. The issue with makeup, it seems like a good idea, doesn't it? You know, it's so convenient and so lovely. Here's the challenge. The amount that you need to put on that, you know, we said the two finger, the, the two finger kick, it doesn't change what product it's in. So for it to be in a spray, for it to be in a stick form, for it to be in a lotion, for it to be in your makeup, you have to have that same amount applied to achieve that advertised protection. What does that mean? That means in makeup, you would basically look like a corpse that had it spackled on because that's how much you would need to use. It doesn't change the amount. So that's really where things go awry. What I really encourage people to do, find the sunscreen that you love. Derms have said this since time memoriam. The right sunscreen is the sunscreen you love, that you're gonna use, that you wanna use. Put that on. There's a couple of easy tricks that we really tell people to do because they do really help ultimately with getting more of the product on. One, apply it in two separate layers. Put it on, take a break, brush your teeth, do your business, then do it again. The studies have actually shown that you materially increase, and I'm happy to send you the study to link. It's very user-friendly to read, but it turns out this second application really meaningfully changes how much sun protection ends up after application. And then think of things like makeup or the powders as just bonus money, you know, that you put it on and it's just another thing. But should it be your primary form of protection? No, you're not putting enough on. You're not going to put it evenly everywhere. Not the way you want to rely on. Okay. So for people, this is great. This is really helpful. So practical tips. So put on one layer of your sunscreen, dedicated sunscreen, brush teeth, take a few minutes, apply a second layer, and then makeup on top of it, whether or not the makeup has SPF, like you mentioned, it's just extra. I'm going to admit a myth that I started myself. And don't worry, I haven't spread it. I haven't spread it on social media. I've only been telling myself this myth. So I convinced myself that using... <laughs> Factor fiction, using both kinds of sunscreen. So like using like a chemical kind of sunscreen plus a mineral one on top of it was better than one alone. And this sounds 
silly and ridiculous now that I'm saying out loud and I'm looking at your face. Can you please clarify whether or not I am actually covering more ground here or whether it's just a waste of doing an extra application? So, okay. I think the idea is kind of this idea, right? It's kind of the same thing we talked about with COVID, this idea of like the Swiss cheese, but you're a Fauci lover, you know, the Swiss cheese Fauci yeah. model that, you know, I think from my perspective, I, I would respectfully kind of go a little bit left of this. And I'll say this, what dermatologists talk about when we talk about sun protection, sunscreen is a piece of it, right? It is really one piece of the whole pie. And the challenge that we have is people really make it the only pie. And from oh, a person no. like me, that's actually probably one of the less important ones. I would much yeah. prefer that you go and enjoy your time at the beach, but do it under an umbrella, wear a hat, right? you right. know, avoid that sun in the hot, hot, hot times of Absolutely. day from 10 to two. You know, there's a reason that many cultures see Hesta. It's just a good practice to not be in there with that beating harsh sun on you. So the reason that I tend to shy away a little bit from this idea is, and it, it ties back to what we said earlier about like the SPF 100. There's actually a move afoot to even get rid of the concept of SPF 100 because oh. it gives people this false sense, mm. they believe of, well, wait a minute, ah, 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 I'm protected. And, you know, again, as we said, you're not using enough. So number one, you're not getting enough protection to begin with. There's some compensation just because you're starting from a higher point that you end up when you, you know, cut the, say the actual dose, say in half, if, if you're using a hundred and maybe you put on enough to get an SPF 50, you know, there's, let's say that. So there's that element, but there's also this concern that people have this false sense of like, I'm shielded. I don't know if you even know this, but you're not allowed to use as a manufacturer, the term sunblock anymore. When we were wow. kids, you had products that were called sunblocks. And actually, you're not allowed to write that on a label anymore for the exact reason that people had in their head this idea sunscreen kind of limited it, but sunblock was like walking around with a shield of armor. And that's a fiction. Nothing is in 100% block, which is, again, the same circle of like why the vitamin D thing is not really a real concern for people like right. me. I dream of the day that this is an issue where people are putting on so much, but much more significant is just your behaviors, you know? And then we didn't even touch a myth that's actually really, really important. Again, I'm generalizing and simplifying, but it's an important one. SPF as a rating really is speaking about UVB protection. UVA protection, which is a very significant cause of aging, of skin cancer, of many things, is not spoken to at all by UVB protection and that SPF number. And so the reason that is really important Again, I'm, I'm simplifying, but the reason that's really important is you can very easily be brought into this false sense of like, I am totally protected. And it's, again, there are analogies really to COVID. Yes, getting vaccinated is crucial, but you also shouldn't be standing around with 100 people that you don't know their backstory and what's going on. The analogies, this Swiss cheese part, it's really applicable in sun protection in the same way. Yeah, that makes sense. That's actually a really good analogy because, you know, there's so many components of it. And one component I wanted to ask you of it as well is, is it helpful to use, I saw this from one of the dermatologists on Instagram, and I thought it was helpful for me. I wanted to get your input, is using the UV index as kind of a way to see, you know, when's a more 
risky time to be outside versus less risky, because sometimes you can be fooled by the temperature and sometimes you can be fooled by the clouds. And, and when I start to look at the UV index daily, it's on the weather app. I start to see, oh my goodness, like it could be a cool day. That's a little cloudy and the UV index is seven. And I'd be really surprised. Yeah. I love, love, love the UV index. I actually have a lengthy post on this too, because I think it's one of the great poorly known resources. And let's step back and what is it? It's basically a rating system that starts at zero and it talks about the risk and it compounds a few different things. So it's not just as you correctly allude to the temperature or kind of what you think it is. Or sunniness even, which is surprising. It take well, that's another thing. Clouds don't protect you from UV. Yeah, yeah. Like, if it's cloudy, I can, no, pretty much. If it's light outside, my friend, the UV index, what's really important to keep in mind it takes into account a whole bunch of other factors, right? Like what altitude are you at? People forget that that matters a ton. Are you up in the mountains or are you elsewhere? What are the ambient conditions around you? What else is in the air? There are many, many factors that go into the UV index and it is a far more reliable way to know what it is. And it's generally grouped in categories. This is another post that when this goes live, I'll post because it's just something for people to have like UV zero through two, and then it's three through five. And it really talks about how much exposure you can take before you should know this is really where you are at a risk of developing these concerns. But because it takes into account all of those factors in real time, it is a much better thing to utilize. And again, like you said, although it's being put out by the weather service, All you need to do is go on your phone, any weather app, the basic iPhone app, any Android app. It's not on that first screen. Just scroll up and I'm sorry, scroll down the opposite. Bring your screen up, scroll down. It is right there on the lower right-hand side. And it's a number. It's UV 10, UV 8, UV 4. And it is absolutely the single best thing to rely on in terms of making that decision. I will put in a little plug that I'm probably a believer in the idea of habits being a good thing. I always say, much like you brush your teeth, put sunscreen on, just make it something you don't think about. I'm someone who skis. I go skiing with my family. People have this idea that, you know, snow and cold. Actually, very best sunburns I've ever seen have been in skiers because you're getting what? You're getting the double whammy. You're getting the UV and you're getting the reflection. So you really can get horrible burns while you're skiing up in, and of course, hello, skiing generally involves a mountain. So, you know, the air is thinner, you're up higher. So I love that tip. The UV index is my go-to and I think it's a wonderful thing to rely on. Yeah, and I think that once people start, people who are not familiar with using the UV index, once you start looking at it, you'll be very surprised because there are times in the fall, in the winter, especially in California, where it is not hot. It is muggy out or cloudy out. You may put your sunscreen on in the morning like you always do. You may not be thinking about, wow, I should be reapplying every two hours like you would on a hot sunny day. But if you check the UV index and see that it's five or seven, even though it's a cloudy day that's cool, you it will actually remind you like, wow, the, it is still quite powerful. It's out there. And so it actually it really did change my perspective once I started checking it every day, because it at the very least just reminds you that even though there's a day, you know, because anyone that's cautious about the sun on a day that's hot and sunny, they know I need to reapply every two hours. You know, hopefully they know that and they're conscious about it. But if it's a day that's cool and cloudy and you're not sweating, you may not be as 
conscious about it, but the UV index could be still incredibly high. So it really can trick you. And like you said, clouds don't protect us and the temperature doesn't matter and things like skiing and things like that. So really, I love that tip. I think that's super helpful. I know you get this question a lot, but what about someone's working in their office from home? They're next to a window. Should they be wearing sunscreen indoors? And I get this question. I've seen this question a lot from people who say that wearing sunscreen often they, you know, feel like can either make their acne worse or things like that. So they try to manage wearing their sunscreen with when they're going to be outside. So how much do we need to be wearing sunscreen when you're working in your office and you have a window? So, I mean, The official party line is you should be wearing it. I mean, the UVA rays we talked about goes right through glass. So it is not blocked. So you're getting exposed to it, not indifferently. That said, I think it's to an extent a judgment call. I'm sitting at my desk. I have an enormous picture window here to my left. And yeah, I'm wearing sunscreen. Also relates to kind of what I said to you earlier. I'm a believer in habits. Because I'll say, even if you are someone who's like, I'm going to be home today, I'm not going to do anything. Okay, yeah. Tell me about the next time I wound up having to run to the post office or run to get something or pick up a kid that I wasn't expecting. Whatever, you know, the best laid plans, eh? You know, so to me, I just think putting it on is a good idea. And with respect to the acne point, which is not, you know, it's a really fair and reasonable point. I would say again, People will say to me, you know, I just hate the feel of of sunscreen, so I can't wear it. And I sort of respond to that respectfully. The equivalent of that is saying, you know, I don't really like sweet potatoes, so I just won't eat food. Sunscreen is a category. It's not a product. And with the variety of things that are available now, there are actually a number of products that are sunscreens that have agents in them that actually beautifully address acne right now that not only just don't break you out, but are actually part of a regimen I would put together. Elsa has a product called UV Clear, no financial interest. Wonderful, absolutely fantastic for people who are acne prone. And they are not the only one. There are a number of products that actually are out there. As always, I have a list. Boy, I'm going to like just have 50 stories after this. Yeah. <laughs> because like everything, but yeah, there are many, many products that are really, really oriented now for people who are breakout prone. And That's not great. only will they, you know, treat a breakout, they actually will help prevent one. So there's really no downside. And I would even add one step further for people who tend to have breakouts. Keep in mind that for many people, the issue of a breakout isn't even so much just the breakout. It's the inflammation that follows, which can be in someone complected like you or I, a red spot that lasts for a long time. And in people with really any mild amount of melanation, a dark spot that lasts for months and months and months and is more vexing than the original issue itself. So by not wearing sunscreen, you are creating something that's a bigger problem than what you were trying to prevent in the first place. Absolutely. So big, big, big push to find a sunscreen that works for you. There is enough variety now that you can find a product that you like. And speaking of sunscreen and getting into the habit, so I totally agree. I think habits are everything. And even if you're at home and you're like you mentioned, and you think you're not going to be 
seeing the light all day, you end up, you know, go to get the mail or if you go to run errands. I mean, I feel like there's so many times you can get sunburned in your car, depending on where you live, especially in Southern California. So it's always good to just have it be in the, in the habit of it. Have you seen that very famous picture? It was in the um, Journal American Academy of Dermatology and it pops up on social media every now and again, truck driver in his eighties, half face, and he had driven a truck for 50 plus years. And it's the most amazing thing in the world. It's half of his face is aged and wrinkled and sagging. And the other half looks 30 years younger. And he was a driver. And so that's a funny story because my husband and I, this is some years ago, but we honeymooned in Australia, New Zealand. And even in traveling through Europe, it was something very, very striking because this was a trick I would play because I'm mean that way on Durham residents because that damage, if you're in other parts of the world where they drive on the opposite side, where oh, the wow. it's on the other side, oh, there was my actually God. a study about this, which is why it was on my mind. And I was, you know, showing those pictures because again, in the United States, we're so skewed to being, you know, on our side. So it, it's interesting that it's so replicable wherever you are, but on that side, but that picture, if that doesn't scare the living bejesus out of you to wear sunscreen, very little will. Absolutely. That's really, really interesting. And, but not surprising because I have had times where even in the car, I'm like, you can feel the heat on one side of your arm, one side of your face. So I just stick with the routine of just putting on sunscreen daily. So speaking of routines, I've had a lot of people submit this and I will admit, I have this question too. I'm going to hope that your answer is the order that I do it in, but if you're doing your morning routine, so say For example, you uh, wash your face with some mild cleanser, you put on a vitamin C serum, and then you put on sunscreen. Is that the right order or what order should we be going in? Go to the head of the class, Dr. Bellardo. Woo, I'm doing it right. Okay, you are perfect. The vitamin C is a nice booster. It functions and it gets a lot of play on social media with good reason. It's probably the best or one of the best studies of the antioxidants. Think of them as the Renellaism here is the burglar alarm to your front door lock. Sunscreen is the lock on your front door. Vitamin C, antioxidants, they're out there going after the reactive oxygen species that are kind of what the sun is actually creating in the skin. Those little buggers that are looking to create damage in the skin cause you those problems, break down the collagen and everything else. So by using an antioxidant, it's a secondary layer of protection. As always, incredibly important to realize it's not ever and instead of, it's always complimentary. But yes, burglar alarm on top of your front door lock. And that analogy holds because when people say, well, wait, wait a minute, I have a great vitamin C, da, da, da. Sure, but nobody in their right mind turns on the burglar alarm and leaves their front door open. The front door lock is a priori. Everything else is a booster. And that's the way to think of an antioxidant. The second benefit, which you may or may not know, and I think you do, um, vitamin C is also an important factor in the production of collagen. So we actually have other benefits by using a vitamin C product on the skin. And that's why you get so much love for it from derms. Amazing. Okay, so speaking of sunscreen and myths that are all over social media and skincare myths in general, a lot of this is submitted about toxic skincare. So oftentimes people have submitted the question about how they should only use skincare that they can eat and that um, oftentimes people in functional medicine or it's been allegedly featured on Goop 
and by Gwyneth that they just should be using either sunscreens or skincare or things in general that are edible because synthetic equals bad and natural is better. Can you please clarify fact or fiction? I mean, there's like 36 fictions in that one big statement. It's like, there's so much fiction in there. I don't even think there's room. So yeah, where to begin? So let's start with synthetic because that's just one that makes absolutely no sense at all. And the Renella isn't here is very simple, right? You know, we talk about things that are made in a lab versus things that are made from nature. It's not that easy to just pluck things out of nature and do no harm. So very oftentimes the ability to synthesize something is more feasible from an environmental point of view, from a cost point of view, from a reproducibility point of view. Nature has certain things that, you know, are innately not the same one to the other. And in a lab, you can control for that. Let's go next. Synthetic things. Well, the example I always like to give is a child. You can conceive a child in a lab. You can have a beautiful child. You can conceive a child in the backseat of a Chevy. Are they different? Is an IVF baby any different than someone can see elsewhere? No, prom night baby, just the same. They're all absolutely fine. Synthetic and not synthetic is one of those absolute fictions. I would also point out that, and I'm stealing what is one of my very favorite lines of Charlotte Parlor's forever. um, Nature has been trying to kill us from the get-go. If you want (laughs) to know the single best things to kill you, they are all natural. Anthrax botulism, arsenic. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. There is no poison like the poison from the gods. And these are the most toxic substances that there are. I mean, it just, so this idea that somehow this fiction that nature, everything in nature is better. I mean, another person we love does this in in food. Erin, the food science page, talks about this all this time. This idea, and I, I, this is, I think what drew me to you in the first place, this idea, because you debunk it in wellness constantly, this pseudo notion that somehow if it's from nature, if it's organic, it's somehow better. No, it's actually kind of elitist. And it's kind of the province of people who really almost all the time selling you something. You know, these pseudo problems that exist because someone wants to sell you an alternative is always something kind of insidious when you really think about it in this world. And I know it's one that is just as active in your world as mine. But in this idea of skin, that things are somehow bad, that you're somehow working with poison. And, you know, my favorite go-to word, you know, oh, our products are non-toxic. Okay. Or clean, clean beauty. Clean. Don't, don't, please. But I mean, I, I think the original and astounding Renellism, there is no such thing as death by skincare. You do not die from putting on your moisturizer. What about someone who is, they don't understand the science. And I, I understand for you, it's obviously very, 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 very clear. But say for someone who's listening that doesn't understand the science behind it, and they are getting marketed, this is a clean product that is free of uh, you know X, Y, or Z chemicals and free of X, Y, or Z synthetic things. To someone that doesn't know the science, and even for someone like me that doesn't even understand dermatology by any means, anywhere near as close as you, you know, it just sounds like, well, why would I elect to choose the one with all these chemicals, with all these things? Although, you know, I don't feel that way now, obviously, but, um, you know, I previously didn't realize that there was 
no true difference. So can you kind of just kind of break it down in a really user-friendly way of why purchasing, why it's not necessary to spend more on quote unquote clean beauty or, or these natural products and why synthetic is not, I guess we can at least say inferior or why it may be, you know, superior. So, I mean, I think one of the simplest ways to approach it is, and I've, I, I'm, I'm on record to say this many, many, many times over many years, you know, you really always want to ask yourself why. Why is something demonized? Why is something being said to be so bad, so awful? Does it make sense? Does it make sense that companies that are massive companies would be creating things that are killing the people they are selling their products to? That just doesn't make a lot of like logical sense. And I think at the end of the day, when you try to stand out, when you try to market something, the reality is frightening people is an incredibly effective way to do that. And it's really quite insidious, you know, that one of the very big target markets for a lot of this stuff is women, pregnant women. And I'll tell you a little secret. I was, you know, a first time pregnant person and I do know better. And it still had me take pause for a minute because this stuff works when they really try and scare the living. Who wants to have the option B of it'll do terrible things to your baby, to your children, to your family. And the reality is it is illegal. You cannot sell toxic products. That is a crime. It's not something you do. I'm going to go ahead and curse now for shits and giggles. You have to very seriously understand this is not something you can just do. It is absolutely, positively a crime. It is a punishable crime. You cannot do that. We do not have toxic products for sale on shelves. And even beyond that, far more insidious that, you know, you're too polite to even talk about. Where does this come from? This comes from a very particular group of people of a very particular economic level, of a very particular demographic. This is not the province of the real world. Where? If you go into communities, people have been talking about, let's use Vaseline, this hated upon beyond product. That, people hate Vaseline? Oh my God, Vaseline is like the, the end of, it is the most hated product probably on earth. I think oh that was, God. so I did a series of collaborative posts with a, I mentioned her before, Charlotte Palmino, this wonderful journalist. And she and I tried to debunk what were the biggest myths we were seeing. And number one, and I think still probably the most quoted was why petrolatum gets this bad rap. So yes, it is indeed a byproduct of petroleum. And I, I think that's a whole separate issue that yes, we need to move away and move to more sustainable. Not having that fight, not arguing that. The question becomes, we have byproducts. They're basically going in the garbage or they are refined and in some way used in a positive light. Petrolatum here in the States, we had talked about this a little bit earlier as well. The FDA regulates certain products that are over-the-counter. They are over-the-counter drugs. Now, you don't need a prescription for them, but they are drugs. Petrolatum is a drug by the standard of the FDA. And it is refined such that the stories and things that are told about it, including what I find really obnoxious, the intentional conflation of petrolatum, where they use that word instead of petrolatum, which is what the product is, is completely obscene and untrue. And in Charlotte's words, 
it's actually the cleanest product you can possibly imagine it being. What always has amazed me, my next Fresnelism, the thing about Vaseline, and Vaseline is one version of this product. Aquaphor is similar. There's really a bunch of different versions of it, just probably the most inexpensive and the most accessible, the most well-known. It is a product who, to dermatologists, its entire claim to fame is that it does nothing. It's inert. If you have somebody whose skin is on fire, you have a baby with horrible eczema, you have a child who has terrible allergies and reactive skin, you have people who cannot handle irritant fragrance, whatever. Petrolatum is what you use as the most boring, inert, will not react, will do nothing product on your skin. It's like getting angry at the accountant who stands at the corner of the party bothering no one. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't hit on you inappropriately. It doesn't say inappropriate things. It doesn't tell dirty jokes after two drinks. It's just boring and well-behaved in the corner. And you're getting annoyed at it. And it is really obscene how that has happened. And what I have found is the, the rope that ties so much of that space together comes back to this idea of why. Why is someone making that claim? And I find that the very first thing I now tell people to look for is who is saying it and why are they saying it? And when someone is creating a problem for them to sell you the alternative, stop, take a minute and wonder what the hell is going on. 100%. That is exactly what Jen Gunter said on our last episode. So that's incredibly helpful. She is my spiritual um, vaginal goddess. So that's a good thing. She's amazing. And and so and so are you. So that is really helpful. And oh, so thank you. I, I've been promoted to the vagina. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> and are there products that are recommended that are natural that, you know, aren't as regulated that you would recommend the more kind of FDA, like you mentioned, over the counter products? But I'll quiz you because you're as smart as the average bear, if not a lot smarter. What do you do in terms of if you are losing your hair? What's the supplement they tell you to take? Oh, I can imagine that it is uh, not accurate, but the myths on Instagram, of course, are biotin. Right. So it turns out, thank you for playing so well. That was not programmed. That was a legit <laughs> thing. Yeah. So it turns out um, biotin actually just the opposite. They have dosing completely unregulated. It is dozens of times whatever any recommended amount would be to ostensibly grow hair. And it turns out not only does it not help, it interferes with lab testing. It interferes with if you have, God forbid, there was a case report, somebody had a heart attack, you're a cardiologist. Excessive biotin ingested in supplements will actually interfere with some of the markers they test in your blood. For yeah, troponin, high sensitive. Yeah. Same yes. with, yeah, same with your thyroid testing. So we now actually have, the AAD came out with a very specific list of things where they're kind of benign to take, where they're, biotin is actually harmful. We actually tell people wow. do not take biotin. And it is everywhere for hair, for nails. And as I say, in, in doses that are just unrelated to any phase of reality. Of, of what it might be. The reality for things like that, as you would say, I'm sure, go to your doctor, have your levels checked. Supplements are just that. They're meant to supplement what is missing. But I'll tell you, where it gets cute for me and what I've never understood is these kind of DIY attempts that people do 
Like I'd much rather use, you know, this seed oil instead of SPF, or I'd rather use this Mac. Why? Why exactly? I mean, I, I, I did a reel on this of just like, cause I get sent the most convoluted things that people do in lieu of buying like a simple product or even using straightforward things. Do people get that if it is more complicated or more expensive than the original, it's a bad hack? I mean, I, I'm just constantly amazed that people will make yeah. this whole like convoluted approach to something rather than just putting on the one cream that is tested, that is regulated, that is absolutely put out safely with parameters. I'm, I No, I have no idea. I don't get it at all. So we can overall say, so if we're going to do a buy it or burn it, okay? So clean beauty, should someone be spending the extra money for uh, these things that are advertised as clean? You're essentially saying not worth the money. Sorry, I have to step away and get some gasoline to make the fire of burning it bigger. Okay. <laughs> All right. And buy it or burn it, uh, hair, skin, and nail supplements. Do we need them? Unless you've been told by your doctor who's tested blood levels that you're missing something, like the thyroid needs supplementation or what have you, no, you should not. Well, hair, skin, and nail over the uh, over the counter supplements, hair, skin, and nail supplements, you know, would not be what any no. board certified internal no. medicine physician would use for thyroid or things like that. So okay. I'm trying to think of in any scenario outside of a diagnosis to that because you will hear it. And if sometimes people aren't seeing their doctor first, when you try to conceive, it's typically a wise idea to check with your doctor and start folate because that is of something. Course, of course, of course, prenatal vitamin. Always that, a prenatal vitamin is going to be the over-the-counter. That absolutely, absolutely. For, but for derm, uh, hair, not skin, and nail supplements, nope. not, not a one, not a one. Not a one. So, so mean, burn there it. are those that don't have, I mean, I think you could make a reasonable case for considering vitamin D. I think you could make a reason. I mean, there are things you could kind of make a reasonable case for, but things the average person should go and plunk their hard-earned money on, sunscreen. And we are literally saying that this is outside of a diagnosed de deficiency by either your board certified primary care physician or your board certified internist who, if they diagnose a vitamin D deficiency or a B12 deficiency, that is different. And that requires, by the way, or an iron deficiency that requires a workup that is more than just supplementation, FYI, that is a, a medical issue. So vitamins besides a multivitamin, like a prenatal vitamin for women of childbearing age or a multivitamin in general, the rest of them are not going to be uh, anything that you need. So just burn the hair, skin and nails, whatever they're called things. Okay. Speaking of this, I want you to clarify collagen supplements. We get that a lot. And I know this is a nuanced area and discussion as well. Nuanced. So can you explain what collagen supplements are, how they may or may not, how they may or may not work and kind of what even do we know about them? I mean, let me start just with what collagen is, because you'd be amazed how many people ask me like about these supplements. And then when you actually are trying to figure out, well, is that they don't even know like what it is they're trying to do. So what I have collagen? the collagen picture, by the way, in my brain from med school. Do you remember how collagen is made from like biochem? Okay, go for it. I've written chapters. I, I drew some of those <laughs> pictures, honey, oh. just to make your life crap. All right. So collagen is a protein and a protein is just amino acids, a chain of them held together, you know, and this is something we find throughout the body, your bones, your tendons, big part of the structural strength of the skin. As you get older, what we know is that your collagen is being produced less. And in fact, you also have a loss of collagen over time. 
there are certain things you can do that actually in choice of kind of lifestyle things that break down collagen. You know, I'm going to say it. Sun is a really big one. Smoking is another really big one. So you really want to do anything you can innately to try and do that. So this idea came, well, what if we just eat more collagen? What if we just, you know, go and put more in the body? So in theory, that sounds great, doesn't it? Like I'll eat more. Okay, there are a few problems, right? Just because you eat this collagen and it is then broken down, it's not like, you know, there's like a little Danielle in the middle of your body saying, okay, um, collagen, you should go straight to the skin. You know, the body directs things everywhere. There's no magic bullet saying, oh, please go to the plumping area where we're going to just, you know, make you look youthful. And, you know, a little lip work would be nice too. Doesn't work that way. There is a collagen study, I will importantly say, in rats and mice that does show evidence of it making to the bloodstream, which is like step one that is not replicated in humans. So that's another thing to point out too. We have seen (laughs) that in rats, it is in the bloodstream. That does not mean that even in the rats, it goes from blood to skin. But take it one step back, in humans, we haven't even gotten to the blood yet. So there's that. That's number one. There are some clinical trials. They have some flaws. A lot of them are being sponsored by the companies that sell these products. They don't. Well, I don't. Goals. I don't. I don't mind. I will. I will go on the record saying I don't mind industry uh, sponsored studies, but it's the rigor of the study. That, so the that's what I'm going with. There. We're yeah, saying yeah. the same thing. I'm not attacking companies. Who else is going to be motivated to study this stuff? Totally. So, so I, I t- to finish the point because that was not meant to come out as an attack on them. But the <laughs> issues are the companies don't have a standard. Some cartilage comes from. Mice, murine sources, some is bovine, some comes from a cow, some is porcine, comes from a pig, some is from fish. Collagen comes from lots of different places. So trying when different companies are testing their unique products to create a global assessment becomes very difficult because you're not testing apples to apples, right? So if you, let's let's try and do a, a cardiac, if you're doing a statin, and you're doing a particular dose of a specific statin that's known to work in this functionality, you can't just automatically compare that to something, anything else in the category. That's the point I was trying to make with the industry sponsored. People study their own stuff and their own proprietary stuff isn't interchangeable with the next. So a lot of these kind of group think conclusions don't necessarily apply. And that's important. I think there is always an element of sponsor bias, but that wasn't as much my point as what we're getting to at the moment. You know, other things. These are not rigorous trials where you put controls in place, where you have people who are matched exactly for, you know, you're an ex-aged person with these other habits. While you're in the study, you shouldn't be using other anti-aging things. Do you smoke? Do you, you know, there are lots of other factors. What if somebody is you and a religious sunscreen user and the other person is a beach lover? You can't also, by the way, side note for any of my listeners who are vegan, like me, you heard what a lot of collagen, although there is some synthetic collagen, I think people are trying to create, but just pay attention to that as well with collagen supplements that it may not be vegan. Also important to note, these aren't pure collagen. There's other stuff in there. There have been issues with contamination well worth paying attention to. I think you bring up the vegan point, which is actually very, very important. 
The, the issue is that, again, you just don't really have a great sense of kind of all the factors that are in there. And at the end of the day, it just is this very large, very kind of unregulated space. And you just don't really have a great sense of what's happening there. Now, what you kind of hear reproducibly being said a lot is this idea that there seems to be some evidence that the collagen causes a global improvement. And that's still kind of out there. I've said before and will say now, there's probably a there there. There is some evidence that it may help with hydration, that it may encourage the body to retain a little bit more in terms of the moisture and that leaves you looking better. It's not really so much this idea that has been out for a long time that, again, it's a very specific thing being broken down and then, you know, boom, it's going directly to the skin, not how the body works. But I think you also talked about, right, the FDA came out with their warning because of, you know, bovine encephalopathy. That's a problem that can happen here. You know, again, these are not pure substances. They have lots of ingredients. Allergy risk is not a small thing. You touched on vegan. Heavy metal contamination has been found in some of these things. You really have to be a, a smart and cognizant consumer before you kind of just run out there and do it. But I would argue that, again, at the end of the day, this comes back to you as an evidence-based practitioner. To call a study a good study means something. It means you account for dose. It accounts for who you're giving it to. It accounts for their other habits and lifestyle in interventions. It accounts for the way it's being delivered. I mean, you know, it, it can come as a drink. It can come as a pill. It can come as a powder. That matters. You can't just extrapolate from one to the category. And I think that's my single biggest objection that I do actually think someday down the road, but the question that's posed to me now is would I, me, spend my hard-earned money on these products now? And my answer is no. And the answer I say no is because they're very expensive also. Say if someone says expense, no money is no object. Bottom line on collagen supplements, that is there or not there? You want to take them, but be a judicious consumer. Be careful what you're buying. Don't just take claims for what they are and keep your expectations in check. I think you find people who really say, you know, I feel like my hair is bad, my this, that, that. Okay. Science-wise, is there a signal? So meaning compared to other supplements or other things for collagen supplements, would you say from a science-wise, if, if, if money is not someone's concern, I actually, I don't know the answer to this. So I'm actually curious. Is there a signal that it could be a benefit if someone wants to spend their money on it? There's a there there, but right now your money would be far better spent on sunscreen and products that we know are absolutely proven to create and develop new collagen like retinoids. And if you really have all that money, come visit me in the office. We've got a whole plethora of machines that can cause control injury and give you lots of nice new collagen. But I think my issue is that when we make something a must and it costs someone a couple hundred dollars a month, that's not a good use of that couple hundred dollars a month. Totally. If money's no object and you're careful and you don't just get some rando stuff, you're probably fine. It's probably not going to do harm. May actually even do, you know, a little something, something. But if you're looking for it to live up to these rich, unregulated claims, yeah, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And again, why would you do that? Going beautifully back to your example of the things that we know and have been tested 
when you know that by using sunscreen, you will absolutely protect the collagen you have. And by using a good vitamin A derivative, a retinoid, you will produce documentable collagen. Why would you not do that? Why go down the road of maybe instead of the road of will do, will deliver? Well, I'm, I'm going to place collagen supplements in the burn it pile for now. I think that until there's more rigorous data, to me, doesn't sound worth it. But. Agree. I agree. I'm, I'm with you. I don't recommend them now. I always back to what would I tell my sister? And my right. sister, the answer is no, I would not, I would not spend on them at the moment. And also um, for me personally, because of veganism, I, I would, I would try to avoid, uh, avoid that as well. That was really, really helpful because there, there are quite a lot of myths there. One thing I wanted to touch on also was that, so there are some some myths about retinoids in general. You touched on how important retinoids are, how we can start with over-the-counter uh, retinoids now. Fortunately, um, things with adapalene like different. So can you just give everyone a rundown on retinoids, especially the myth that they thin the skin and kind of just a retinoid 101? Sure. It, it, it's a big couple of myths. Retinoids are wonderful vitamin A derivatives that do a number of things in the skin. Number one, they actually ultimately, as we say, help organize and fix and do things for your collagen, number one. They basically turn on the factory, if you will, in the skin, so that what we see is an increased proliferation in a good way of those cells, helps to organize the cells in the skin layers, and by doing so, gives you a more robust, healthy collagen over time. There are a couple things that do happen. Because you are increasing cellular turnover, what is in fact happening is that you will actually see that skin that is turning over a little more rapidly appear on the skin as that light flaking that we call kind of the retinization of the skin early on. You can see a little bit of sensitivity. That's all very normal, which is why you'll hear people like me sort of have you go slowly as you get in there. It has to do with, again, how collagen develops and matures in the epidermis. Retinoids do have a slight ability, a small, I would say, ability to have you, because it's normalizing some of the things that are actually happening in the sebaceous gland, the pilosebaceous unit, which is the hair follicle and sebaceous gland unit that is where kind of acne, comedonal acne is born, because it functions there. What we sometimes will see, and I'm simplifying greatly, is as things are normalizing, you can get a mild bit of worsening of acne before you get better. This is not abnormal. This, this is not something we tell people to freak out about. It is so expected that we actually explain it to everyone in anticipation of it happening with a retinoid. The thing is, when I got on social media, I joined, so I'm, as you know, a late comer to social media, resisted it forever, came on last year during quarantine. And one of the very first things that kind of hit me was the purge. I had no idea what the hell this was. I thought it was a horror movie. It's actually a term <laughs> that is referencing this idea that if you go on a retinoid, that your skin suddenly goes to hell. No, not how it works. It's a mild bit of the skin kind of coming into synchrony where the, the oil and things are being normalized. And you can see the, the pimples that were kind of in formation come to the surface. It still is working well. It's still doing what it's supposed to do. If you are, in fact, months in seeing this ongoing set of acne, that's not a purge. That is absolutely something that speaks to either not using the product properly or not being the right product for you and something to go back to your German address. But yes, this, this notion of the purge 
is not a real one. And what about the thin skin? That's also this terrible myth that gets a lot of play with, and again, comes back to people who are selling the alternative. What retinoids do very minimally in the upper skin, the top, so there's um, fat, dermis, epidermis. In the epidermis, they organize that pathway. They really help in the five layers of development over 28 days, your skin matures from the base layer, the germ cell layer, over as it does. Over about 14 days, it loses its nucleus and it basically lives in the very top layer, the stratum corneum of the epidermis. It functions together functionally, even without nuclei, as part of what we call your skin barrier. Because of that organization process that it causes, it think of it kind of almost like stacking bricks rather than having them be haphazard. It evens them out. So there's this sort of theory that it's thinning the skin. That's false. What it's actually doing is organizing that skin. But in addition to that, deeper down in the skin, it's actually causing the robust formation of new collagen. So the skin overall is thickened, is fortified, is strengthened. It's just organized rather than thin. So I always tell people to think of it kind of like, you know, a home organizing person that they take the same toys, but they're neatly organized. You're not thinning it out. You're just kind of organizing it. And that's a very good parallel for what it does. Well, thank you so much for debunking so many of the skincare myths out there, Ranelli. You are the best. Dr. Hirsch is a phenomenal resource to follow on Instagram. We're, we're going to make sure to put in the show notes as many of the resources she mentioned as possible and tell everyone where they can find you on Instagram. Because when this episode debuts, I am sure she's going to have a lot of links up there as well. And she's just such a great resource for everything skin. Where can they find you again? Oh, you are such a love. I am at Ranella. R-A-N-E-L-L-A-M-D. And that's on Instagram. Are you on any other or is Instagram your, your most uh, used? <laughs> I think I'm afraid of TikTok. Yeah, yeah, same. Okay, well, thank you. And we're going to have to have you on again. So this is not a one-time. Uh, this is you not mean a one-time. there's more skin myths to debunk? No. So many. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I would love to keep bringing you all the latest health and wellness information and misinformation to debunk. So please do me a quick favor and leave a five-star rating review and share with a friend. Make sure to leave a comment about which wellness fad you'd like debunk next, and I'll get to the bottom of it. Follow me on Instagram at MD and our podcast page at Wellness Fact Versus Fiction, and be sure to tune in next week.